Hello, fellow high flyers. This is Philip Hatting, and welcome to the Career Ladder Podcast, the podcast that inspires ambitious people on their path to success. Each episode, I interview movers and shakers from various fields, and it is my goal to explore their habits and success strategies. My guest today is Diego Gutierrez. Diego is Chief Officer International Markets at Vodacom in South Africa. In his role, he is part of the Vodacom Group Executive Committee and in charge of the international markets across Africa, such as Tanzania, Mozambique, Lesotho, DRC and Ghana. If you haven't heard of Vodacom, Vodacom is a leading African communications company providing a wide range of communication services, such as mobile services, including voice, messaging and data, and also financial and converged services. They supply over 116 million customers across Africa, so almost every 10th African is a customer of Vodacom. Diego was born and raised in Bolivia, but lives and works for over 12 years on the African continent. Diego is an expert on emerging markets, and in the podcast he explains, among other things, what you need to be embraced for if you want to work in emerging markets. One of my highlights of the conversation is when Diego explains how to successfully pitch an idea to senior management. So if you want to find out how to structure and formulate your next pitch to your boss, keep listening and you'll find out. Without further ado, here's today's guest, Diego Gutierrez. Diego, welcome to the podcast. I was really looking forward to this conversation as um, it was not too long ago that both of us got to know each other, actually. It was about a year ago when I was working on a project that you were and are still leading. And we met in London for a dinner with some colleagues and partners. And what I remember very well from that dinner is that you showed off some of your Swahili skills, <laughs> which was very impressive and entertaining, I can tell you. And I'm sure we will have uh, or we might have the opportunity to touch on the story behind these skills a bit. And um, I'd say we let us jump right into it with uh, the first question. And I'd like to start with a question on a significant move in your career. And this move will most likely interest everyone who who's looking at when looking at your CV. And it was when you were, I think, 32 years old that you moved from Latin America to Africa. And I'm curious, how did this come about? Could you share the story behind this move? Uh, I've seen you've done your research. I, I I don't even remember 32. Yeah, thanks for th thanks for reminding me that. Um, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for for having me. It's it's always uh, fun to to have these type of conversations. Um, yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I've had a kind of a, not uh, the most conventional uh, career in terms of, of movements, especially geographical movements. I, I'm from South America. I was born and raised in South America, uh, specifically in a small country in the middle of South America called Bolivia. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, I, I was lucky enough to learn English from a very young age. And uh, that obviously allowed me and opened many doors for me to be able to study abroad and then later move around. So, so yeah, I, I, I ended up in, in Africa when I was 32 years old. I was working uh, from a very, even when I got out of university, I started working in, in telecoms, uh, 
in, in my country and with, a, with an American company. And, and then I was lucky enough to travel a lot with them. And uh, however, my country is small. It, it has uh, certain limitations when, when you want to grow professionally and scale up your, your career. And I was always on the look for for opportunities to, to, to grow outside, at least for, for a few years. I got married at a very young age when I was 25. By the time I was 31, I had four kids. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it, we, we moved very fast on that. And uh, yeah, and there was the opportunity to move with, uh, with a telecommunications group called Millicom. I was headhunted for, um, they, they needed, uh, they wanted to get people from developing markets like the, like the South American ones to, uh, to lead some of their operations in, in Africa that they had, but the operations were not doing that great. And they thought that the profile of South Americans would be a good fit for the African market. So I was headhunted. And at that point, my kids were very small. My wife loves adventure. And the role was in Ghana, based in Ghana with a lot of traveling. I knew I didn't know much about Africa, to be honest. Uh, most of what I knew, I, it was what I watched on TV, and I knew obviously about Mandela and South Africa, but not about the rest of the country. So, we, my wife and I, made the decision to to give it a try. Our plan was to leave for maybe two years and then go back with some more experience and savings. And here I am, twelve years later. Uh, still in Africa and loving it. Uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to not only I've lived in Ghana, but I've also been lucky to live in Tanzania for almost seven and a half years. And uh, now I live in South Africa, and I I feel I feel African now. Uh, this is a beautiful continent. I've learned so much, traveled so much, and so so lucky to be here. And I don't know how long I'm going to stay in Africa. I have absolutely no rush to to leave. Great, great uh, story. So, as you mentioned, you stayed in Africa. You're you're there for 12 uh, years already. Um, I'm curious, what lessons did growing up in Latin America teach you that helped you to become successful on the African continent? Uh, well, look, I think, I mean, saving some differences, I think there are a lot of similarities between Uh, most of the countries in South America and many of the countries in, in, in Africa, right? We're talking about developing countries uh, with uh, a very, very big base of the pyramid. Uh, people live on a, on a hand-to-mouth economy, uh, on a, a, a lot of informal, informal economy, informal markets, uh, in many cases, hostile, in gover hostile governments, hostile environments, uh, changing politics, unpredictable uh, outcomes in many cases. So I think that in Latin America, as you grow up, you, you learn to, to adapt, uh, you learn to, to improvise, right? You don't take anything for granted. You, you realize that uh, people work very hard in many cases for very small rewards. And, uh, and you learn to operate in that type of, of environment. And, and, I think that's that's what's helped me in Africa as well is to understand that type of, of behavior, uh, to understand that uh, it in many many cases you need to uh, design offers and design uh, um, 
basically things that people can buy on a daily basis. I mean, the, the concept of monthly bills is, is, is almost non-existent in the, in the majority of, of the continent. So, I mean, it's, all that comes from, from, from living in a country that in a way is, is, is similar, right? So I think that Latin Americans actually um, adapt very well in these type of environments. All right. So today you work with Vodacom in South Africa and um, you are responsible for several markets, um, just to name a few, Tanzania, DRC, Mozambique, Lesotho. And I guess before COVID, you were traveling a lot and visiting these markets. And you mentioned before that you were born in Bolivia, so I guess you have a Bolivian passport. And I can imagine that with uh, under these circumstances, you might have faced a few difficulties in the past and some um, challenges to, to travel around Africa with a Bolivian passport. Could you maybe share some, some yeah. stories of passport struggles? I mean, it's not only in Africa. I've, uh, <laughs> I've always struggled because, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bolivian passport, unfortunately, is one of those passports that... Uh, you need a visa even to go to the bathroom, right? It's, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very, um, it's very difficult. And I can count with one hand countries that don't require a visa for a Bolivian passport. So um, I'm lucky that my, my, my wife and kids have German passports. Uh, that's a story for another podcast, maybe. Uh, but, uh, so, but when we travel, I'm always the one being sent to the different, uh, queue or to the small room right because obviously unfortunately bolivia not necessarily fair but has a, a reputation as well for for some illicit uh illicit stuff uh, so when when uh, when you go into when you arrive into some countries and they see your passport they very quickly draw some conclusions and obviously you need to prove them wrong uh so uh yeah my life is full of of, of uh, situations in which i've been uh held uh, held in, in, in small rooms for several hours, questioned, uh, my passport taken away for, for one or two days uh, while I was in the, in the visiting country. Uh, but look, I've, I've gotten used to it. I think that uh, the, the, what you can't do in these type of situations is panic or, or just try to be uh, arrogant or try to show force. You just have to play by the rules, understand that they're doing their job. And uh, eventually the outcome has always been uh, has always been positive. Obviously, it generates a bit of stress, but I've gotten used to it. I mean, until the COVID crisis, I was spending... I was on a, on a plane almost every week um, and not only move, going to my markets, but obviously going to Europe, going to Asia uh, for, because of work. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a frequent traveler and uh, you learn to, to navigate through all those uh, difficult uh, environments. I see. And um, in advance of those travels, how does it work then in South Africa? You go to the Bolivian embassy for these visas or how do you... No, there's no Bolivian embassy in South Africa. No, no. I mean, obviously, I have long-term visas for, for the US, for Europe and for the countries that I visit frequently. I, I In South Africa, I go to the embassies of those countries and get uh, like one year, six months visas. So... Um, Yeah, once once you go through all that, it's it's much easier. So you always need to. I mean, I've had situations in which I've 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 boarded. A, I've been about to board a plane, and the the lady in the in the gate realizes that my visa has expired and did not check. Right. So, 
I've I've been I've been offboarded uh, offboarded uh, of the plane, and so you always have to be checking if your visas are in order. And by the way, I I change my passport once a year because all my my pages run out because of all the visas and all the stamps. So, and since there's no embassy in 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 the African continent except for Egypt, I have to fly back home to uh, to get a new passport, and that happens at least once a year. I cannot. They don't give you two passports. They don't give you a lot of pages. So, yeah, it's it's kind of. A, I my I have to. My timing needs to be very good. I maximize the 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 pages. I'm I'm that I'm the guy begging on on airport uh, controls where to put the stamp and not to use a new page. I tell them the page number. <laughs> you learn to do that, right? <laughs> it's being efficient. I see. You've seen it all. You've seen it all. All right, yeah. Diego. Um, the the next question is a bit um on a broader level i would say and um i'm curious as you live over 12 years now on the african continent and work even longer in the telecommunications industry which technologies do you think have the greatest potential to transform or also to continue transform lives on the african continent well uh, i mean hands down i think the most transformational technology um in Africa is mobile money. Uh, I'm sure you've uh, heard about uh, M-Pesa uh, in Kenya and in all our operations. Uh, M-Pesa is the biggest mobile money um, platform in the world. Uh, we we cater to about 30 million customers. And um, and every, there are many operators in Africa right now that have their own mobile money solutions. And, and I don't know how familiar you are with mobile money, but basically it's a way in which people use their their, their their phones as wallets. Um, we have a network of agents that are more than 400,000 agents through our footprint that take deposits and give give back uh, money. So people just use, it's, it's basically an, uh, living ATMs all across. Uh, you don't have to walk more than 500 meters to go into an agent and you give them your money. They, they convert that money into e-value and now your phone becomes your wallet and with that you can do all types of payments and, and not only payments but you can do savings you can get loans and you can transfer money to other people you can buy your electricity your water you can buy airplane tickets or you can shop online so basically what what has happened is that in, in africa which is a country that is highly unbanked mobile money is banking the unbanked uh, and, and and the way mobile money is closing the financial inclusion gap, it's the most transformational thing for the African continent uh, that I've seen. Uh, and and it, we're only scratching the surface. Uh, mobile money continues to grow into into more evolved platforms. As the as the penetration of smartphones grows, uh, we're starting to it's starting to become an, an OTT solution through apps that people can can do many many more things. So for me, mobile money is is the biggest example of, of a transformational technology in Africa and obviously followed by by, by data and 4G and, uh, and and being able to 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 give uh, affordable access to to fast uh, speed internet is has also been transformational but uh, yeah that, that would be the two technologies that I can think of right now cool so I obviously did some research on mobile money already as I also work in the industry, but pe maybe for people listening, um, most of them will probably probably live in a Western European country. Could you give an example how exactly that would work for a person in Africa? How would that person use M-Pesa in their everyday life? 
Yeah, so for example, uh, someone would, would uh, wake up, uh, get their salary paid, for example, to their bank account. Uh, they would go into the M-Pesa app, the, the bank account, they would get money transferred from their bank account to their M-Pesa uh, wallet. So basically, we are, we are interconnected with all, all the banks. That's in a case someone actually has a bank account, right? So they would basically uh, put money into their, their M-Pesa wallet. Uh, otherwise, if this person gets paid in cash, they would go to an M-Pesa agent, which is a person, a physical person that works on a shop, either selling other things. They would give the money to this person and this person would basically, through a, through a device, they would convert that money into, into electronic money that is, is transferred to the person's wallet. So now the person has given physical and now they have e-value. So now on their phone, they have uh, an access that can be through USSD for very for uh, feature phones or through through apps uh, when it's uh, smartphones and now they they have let's say i don't know like the equivalent of 100 euros for example and now they want to send money to their mother in the village they just uh, open the app put their mother's number and the money goes the mother receives a notification she has an mpesa app and she knows that in her wallet now she has uh, i don't know 50 euros she goes to the nearest agent that is probably 200 meters away from her walking distance she sends a code to the to the agent's number and the agent gives her gives her the money physically or or she can use that money to pay her electricity because in africa electricity is prepaid so you pay you get a, 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 a like a like a voucher you have a meter in your home you type in you type in that number and then you have electricity right uh, or she can she can pay the school fees of of, of her grandchildren or she can uh, buy groceries in the in the in the supermarket, um, and it's it's imagine it's the same use as a debit card, right? But in, in reality, you're just using your phone, right? At the same time, she can save and she gets interest on those savings, or or through artificial intelligence and algorithms, we we do scoring so we can offer her. She goes into a shop and and she wants to buy. She doesn't have enough money. We immediately uh, offer her a loan because she's eligible for that. And we're talking about microloans. And um, yeah, and that person can, can buy her, her food for the day. So that's just like a very, very small example of what happens on a person. We also uh, enterprises use M-Pesa. So uh, there's companies that pay salaries in M-Pesa, right? For example, uh, someone that works in the mines, they pay their, their workers with M-Pesa. All of them receive the money on their wallets and then they can do all these type of transactions. And then these companies also pay their suppliers in M-Pesa. So it's a parallel currency. But it's so widespread and so penetrated that uh, it's a very important part of the economy in these countries. Uh, an important part of the GDP goes through M-Pesa. So it's it's incredible. And you're talking about places where the market sorry, where the bank penetration is probably around 15, 20 percent in the best best case scenario. So people actually this is their bank. This is the way in which they do digital payments, right? They they don't have debit cards. So we've We've leapfrogged the, the the debit card. Yeah, otherwise people wouldn't even have access to an ATM, to a bank account. They wouldn't exactly. even have a possibility. They would have to yeah. put their money under the under the carpet. Yeah. I see. I see why you uh, you you say hands down this is the technology that will continue to transform lives uh, on the African continent. All right, Diego. Um, from 
technology, I'd like to open a, a different box, a uh, more kind of general work-related uh, box, which starts with the question um, on... Or which would start with the topic of time management. So as you are part of the executive committee of a yeah one of the largest uh, companies in South Africa, actually, and you have uh, a large number of employees reporting to you, uh, several international markets that um, you look after. I'm curious what kind of time management hacks you use and maybe also which you would recommend um, a young person to use in their everyday work life. Okay, um, interesting. Uh, look, I, I don't have a list of time management hacks, but I, I can tell you a bit of what are kind of my my principles when, when I have to do tasks. Um, I, I guess the, the first thing that I always ask myself is, is this, is this urgent or is this important, right? Uh, there are things that demand your immediate attention, but uh, I mean, whether you actually give them your attention and may not matter necessarily at that point in time, uh, but are important tasks. And, and if you don't do them there, there can be serious consequences to, to the business. Many times those tasks get, get confused, right? So I think it's important to always ask yourself, is this urgent or is this important? Can it wait? If I don't do it, what's going to happen? Uh, and, and that's a way also to prioritize uh, tasks. And uh, I, 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 I A long, long time ago, I learned, I read a very, very good book. Um, it's called Getting Things Done. Um, and it, it kind of, uh, obviously, I've changed a lot since then, but it kind of got me started in, in kind of struggling a bit uh, how to go through tasks, how to prioritize, how to know what to do first. And, I, and, and what, one of the conclusions that I've really, really um, taken from that, and I I practice it uh, on my day-to-day -day life is always try to do the difficult things first, right? So, so when you wake up in the morning and you start going through your email and you need to, there's always these things that are too complicated, right? And, and sometimes you procrastinate, you, you kick the can down the road, you don't do them in the morning, you have lunch and you say, I'll, I'll do it. And, and then by the time it's, it's almost the end of the day, you're too tired. And then the next day. So I think that what you have to focus on is try to identify what are the difficult things that you need to do every day and do that first thing in the morning. For example, if you need to send a tough email of feedback to to an employee to to a colleague or, or or if you have to tell give difficult news to your boss or you have to send that report that you're dreading to to put together i mean do it first thing in the morning get it out of the way and then i mean you have the rest of the day for the things that are not that challenging or not that complicated and you would be surprised of how much stress that takes away On, on your day to day, so so that that's I mean one one of the things that that for me is is very has become a habit and and I'm I'm happy I, I use it right and and also um, it's it, remember that quality is not always quality. Um, there are some people that believe that by spending hours and hours uh, at work or or sitting on their desks. Um, They, they, they get more achieved or they impress their bosses or they impress the, the people that are working with them. But, but in reality, I mean, I, I have more respect for someone that is efficient and can, can get stuff done very quickly uh, and, uh, and have free time for themselves or free, free time to do whatever they want that those people that, I mean, spend their, their, their entire life sitting on a, on a desk. And remember, I mean, 
works i mean working is important but work should meet should be a mean to an end and not the other way around right so the faster you can do your work the faster you can enjoy of other things in life you can should spend time with your family right you can travel you can you can read you can play sports you can do your hobbies so um the more you the more efficient you are when you when you manage time uh, the better so yeah so so i mean that that's kind of uh, my my maybe simple but uh but useful, at least for me, uh, time management tax. Cool. So as mentioned, um, senior executive have not, or let's say a limited amount of time. Now, if you would uh, think of a young person just started their career, very ambitious, uh, has an interesting idea and would like to pitch this idea to senior management. Do you have any advice on how to, let's say, formulate or pitch this idea in what kind of format or um, in which way it would be the best to get attention from senior management? Um, yeah, I think, well, it's, 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 it's kind of a difficult question to answer in, in a short, uh, short, short phrases, but look, I, I guess that the outcome of an idea is the most important thing, right? And that's, that's what, uh, that's how any pitch should start. And that's my opinion, right? And that's how you get attention from people. I mean, if you, if you say and say, look, I want to take you through an, through an idea that I've had and I believe it's going to be successful. I mean, I mean, senior managers all the time are, are bombarded with people that, that want to share ideas. So I think if, you, if you're very clear on understanding what's important to that senior manager, okay, um, If it's if, if if what's important is top line growth or getting market share or increasing customer loyalty or um, I don't know I mean if if you understand what's important to them and you start your pitch like that then you immediately grab their attention right if you if you, if, if if this person is is trying to grow market share and you say uh, I have an idea that is gonna allow us to grow 10 points of market share in two years right I mean that that's a That's a complete different way of pitching a project than just saying, look, I want to take you through some ideas, which I think are great and maybe they will help us. I mean, there, there's nothing punchy there. So, I, I mean, that, that would be my, my first, uh, the entry point. Uh, something that uh, especially young people struggle a lot um, when they pitch new things is that they go into too much detail. Right, and sometimes when you go into too much detail, you confuse the audience. You confuse uh, the people you are presenting to. Uh, they lose sight of what exactly it is that, that you're offering. So I think you have to be very clear and concise as to what problem you're trying to solve, right? And and start with that and say, look, I I I, I have an idea that's going to allow you to get 10 points of market share. Um, I believe that my idea is going to help um, increase the, the, the loyalty of this segment, which is the segment that you've been losing for the for the last uh, two years, right? I'm just making up things as I speak, but I'm just trying to to give it. So, so now you you you're, you've talked about the outcome. You've talked about the problem that you want to solve. So now it's much easier to go into into the details because now you have people's attention. But if you if you start and, and and another thing, avoid telling people what they already know, right? And the reason I say this is because many people, when they present to you, they try to give some context, right? So they have, they want to give an introduction. 
So they start to 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 like so. Here is this is how subscribers have been growing in the past three years. You know that I know that, right? That's I, I, or this is the, the the GDP of this X country. As you can see, it's been dropping. I know that as well, right? So just go straight to the point and don't try to educate the people that your your forums, especially if 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 it's very obvious information. You can start by saying, "I know you're aware about A, B, C, D, so I'm going to ju jump straight to, to this." And because otherwise, you bore your audience. And, and and sometimes, by the time you you get to the to the meaty part of the presentation, uh, you've you've lost their attention. There's there's this. Um, I, I read it on a book. I don't remember which was which one was the book, uh, but it's called uh, the elevator pitch. I'm, I'm, you can Google it, right? And the elevator pitch is is basically. Um, if you would jump into an elevator with with your boss, right? How can you pitch a project to him in the time that the elevator goes from the ground floor to the to your boss's office, potentially in the thirtieth floor or whatever, right? But but um, it gives you very clear guidelines as to how to do a pitch that's simple, punchy, and that will get the message through very fast. I, I really recommend, I, I don't think you need to uh, read the book. I think the book is, is, is called uh, Crossing the Chasm, but I'm not 100% I'm not sure. But I'm sure that if you Google the elevator pitch on, on, on right now, you, you will find it very quickly. It's, and I've heard, I'm pretty sure that many people, including yourself, maybe you've heard the, the phrase like, okay, give me your elevator pitch. Right, and it it comes from the, from that book, um, so I, I I highly recommend that 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 you um, that you um, take a look at it. And and the other thing, the other advice is that it's very easy to smell BS, right? I'm, I'm, I don't know the rating of this program, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> say the, the full word, the full sentence. But uh, it's very it's very easy to smell BS, and uh, so avoid that. Avoid because the people you're presenting to are, are, are senior and, and people that have been around and and they've they've sat through hundreds of these type of pitches and presentations. So be honest, be straightforward. Uh, don't try to sell smoke, um, and go straight to the point. Cool. So I will look up the the elevator pitch book and um, share it in the show notes for people to to look it up and check it out. And yeah, Diego, thanks for this. Uh, I think that was really helpful. A uh, good uh, overview of how to structure a good pitch to senior management. Now, next topic would be um, still something work related, but more um, yeah general. I would say. Um, As you are very experienced on emerging markets, you've seen Latin America, you've seen Africa. And I know from my peer group, from friends, uh, many people are also, young people are very interested in working in emerging markets. I'm curious uh, to learn about what would you say is crucial or what do one need to be embraced for to work in emerging markets? Um. Well, I mean, there are several things. I think, first of all, when you come from a developed uh, country uh, to work on an emerging market, I, I think that at the beginning it's a bit shocking um, because things don't work exactly as you expect them to work, right? Um, there's not uh, sometimes lack of infrastructure, lack of skills, uh, lack, of, lack of investment. So, From from landing in the airport, I mean, to taking a taxi, to finding a place to live, to opening a bank account, 
everything that it's pretty much um, seamless in, let's say, I'm going to say Germany just to, to say any country, but everything can be challenging, right? It can be frustrating. And, uh, and not because, I mean, people don't want to help you. It's just because, like I said, I mean, in many cases, there's lack, lack of, of, of proper, um, proper services, proper infrastructure, like people are not that trained, etc. So everything can be a bit frustrating. So, so, I mean, especially when you arrive and when you start working, it really tests your tolerance to frustration. And it has to be, it has to be a, in, a, in a good level, and and then you have to eliminate all the stereotypes and and don't take anything for granted and don't assume that things are just going to work out. Uh, in many cases, you uh, you have to roll up your sleeves and do things yourself uh, because if you are as I am, I'm I'm very anxious sometimes. I'm very impatient and and sometimes things don't move at the speed that I want them to move. And I've learned this from my country as well, because it, it works exactly the same. And, and sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves and just do all the work or, or a lot of the work that in many cases you say, I, I shouldn't be doing this. And, and I tell you, I mean, as a CEO, when, when I was in Tanzania, I've, I've had instances, uh, one minute I was uh, deciding the, the strategy of next year and, uh, and half an hour later I was, I was helping a guy fix the elevator that was stuck and, 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 right? and I was trying to like, uh, we were reading the manual and, and you know, and so, so it's at the same time it's very exciting because every day is different and, and, and every day brings new things. Now I have to tell you, I mean, in every country I've, I've been in Africa, the people are amazing. Right, the people are keen to learn. They want to. I mean, if they know, if they see that you have a, a skills, if they see that they can learn from you, they they really try and they really they they become very 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 supportive. So, if if you can if you can build good teams, if you can coach people, I mean, obviously in the long run that that helps you achieve things uh, much better. But but I would say that I mean you you need to, if you're if you're a young guy coming to Africa to work. Just eliminate all the stereotypes. Um, come with an open mind. Don't come with an attitude that that uh, things should be done this way because we do this. We do it this way in Europe. Uh, learn uh, of of how things are made. But but I think most important, you need to understand the the culture, right? Uh, you need to you need to. Uh, educate yourself about cultural etiquette, uh, because there are there are many things that that you can you can say the wrong thing, which for you is a perfectly normal thing to say, but it turns out that in this country it's it's extremely offensive, right? And that's it. That can be the end for you. I mean that that the word goes around, and then you get this reputation, and then you end up having to leave. And I've seen it happening. I've seen it happening. People just saying the wrong thing, or uh, raising their voice on a meeting in, in, in a moment that yeah, they're supposed to be respectful and, and things just go crashing, right? So it's important to learn the local etiquette and, and, and adapt to it. That's how, you, that's how you survive. That's actually, it's funny that you bring it up because that's uh, what I wanted to ask you in, in the following, in the following question and the question now, if you um, could share some advice on working effectively across cultures and navigating those cultural differences that you touched on, um, especially in business situations? Yeah, well, I think it overlaps a bit with what I just said, but I think that 
I mean, the, the first thing you need to do when you move into a country, especially where you have multicultural environments, is to, to learn the do's and the, and the don'ts, right? Um, especially, I mean, in many African countries, you have uh, re- different religions uh, in, in a company. You have different tribes. Um, and each one of these things has its own level of complexity. And um, some things that are appropriate in, in one religion and religion are not appropriate in in another religion, right? And uh, for just to give you a, an example, during the month of Ramadan, uh, you have to be very respectful with with your Muslim uh, colleagues, uh, even even when when it, uh, when it's about eating because they are fasting. So if you're in a meeting, it's kind of rude to just like open up your 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 sandwich and start eating in front of of your colleagues that are obviously trying to be respectful to the religion so i mean I, i'm just giving you a very s- simple example but but uh, these are things that actually help you navigate right because i think that the most important thing is to gain people's respect and the way you gain people's respect is by respecting them and once you get people's respect then you you, you can easily learn uh, about the, the, their 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 traditions and uh, start start adapting to them, and obviously that's, that that makes your work uh, much easier. Uh, and uh, and everyone is keen to learn. And if you if you have a set of skills, people will will work with you. But as long as you as you treat them with respect, with with you're humble, you don't come with this arrogant mindset that I know what to do because I come from this developed country and no one knows anything here. Because it doesn't work that way. I mean. People that come with that mindset have very short stints in, in these type of markets. Yeah, agreed. All right. Um, let's say all of this um, even excites the person more to, to go into emerging markets, uh, a young person to go into emerging markets, work there, um, explore working in emerging markets. Um, if you like, could you share some some maybe questions or uh or let's let's ask it like this um what skills or character traits would you look for in let's say a young person who would like to go into these emerging markets and if you would be in an interview situation how would you kind of try to find it out or test it um look i I, it's a good question i i think i I would look for first of all someone that is uh, self-motivated, right? That doesn't need you to be on top of this person for in order f- for them to do their their jobs. Uh, so when I say self-motivated, it means that they can work by themselves, that they can they can lead, uh, that they, you don't have to micromanage, right? That you can coach and you can help, but you don't need to micromanage. So that that, that for me is, is something very important. I would look for someone that comes across as a respectful person, uh, someone that that I know is going to be is going to be able to fit in with 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 the local teams because again I, I don't people don't appreciate the the know-it-alls right the the people that come claiming that they've invented uh, sliced bread and uh, and and then everything that they find is crap and and this doesn't work and I, this is how we do it over there and that doesn't work so i mean you you need to look in a person a certain degree of of, of a humble of a humble approach of uh, uh, openness of mind someone that is keen to learn 
someone that is keen to roll up their sleeves and do the the hard work because the first thing you have to do in an African market and and the same in in, in, in any developing country or Asia or Latin America you 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 arrive and you have to go out to the streets right you you don't arrive and you sit on your desk and you think you're going to learn everything from there you spent days and weeks going out to the markets visiting different areas of the country talking to people uh, spending hours in cars or in the in the in the hot sun uh, under in many cases difficult conditions you need to you need to whoever you you interview needs to come across as someone that is willing to do that right and not because you force them but because they they are keen to to understand those people that arrive and sit on a desk and and never care to go out and or learn the language uh, spend time with local peoples uh, uh, they're they're hardly successful i mean if if you're one of those persons that comes that goes to a country and all your friends are are expats, are, are Europeans, uh, you have this circle, you don't interact with the local communities, you don't you don't learn about the culture. I mean, the chances of you being successful go down significantly. So yeah, so it's it's someone that 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 kind of personality needs needs to come across. I mean that that the technical and skills. I mean that's easy to assess, right? I mean I just I have to look at your CV. What, what did you study? Where did you work? And then I have a good idea of your technical skills. That that's an easy one. I would say that's the that's the easiest part. I think the hardest part is the the, the emotional intelligence, the the like the personality. How is this person gonna get along with the local teams? And and obviously you the way you assess that is with experience, having lived in in this part, you understand what works, what doesn't, and that comes across in an interview. I mean, it's very hard to to hide that part of of, of a personality. Yeah, I agree. All right, Diego, thanks for sharing this. Um, next. Um, round of questions would be very general speaking, I would say. And my first question of this um, of this area of questions would be: If you would teach at a university or school, what subject would you teach? I probably management. Yeah, mm -hmm. like business management or our entrepreneurship or well yeah no probably business management I, i think that would be my my preference and in where would you put uh, emphasis on in this um this uh teaching then um i i, I would put it in leadership good leap mm -hmm. i mean i think good leadership trumps everything else And the type of leader you are. I mean, that's very important. What what type of leader do you want to be? And and I think you need mm -hmm. to answer that question very early in your career. And it's a choice. And if uh, if people listening don't get uh, the luxury of you teaching at a university leadership, uh, the subject of leadership, do you have any maybe books or advice for people to to research or to educate themselves on? leadership and asked yeah how to ask them the question themselves the question what kind of leader they want to be yeah well i i i there's many good leadership books right um but but look i mean i think i think something that people get a bit uh and i'll get back to the books i just have to think about them but i think that what people get stuck about it is that they want to be um 
put on kind of a box, like say, what type of leader am I? Uh, they want to be called uh, like an autocratic leader or a consultative leader or, or you know, I mean, and, and I don't think life works that way. I think that we are situational leaders and, um, and you pull different, different parts of your personality into leadership, depending of, of where you are. And, and just to make, maybe make an analogy, there are moments, let's say that you're the captain of a small boat and you have a crew, you're navigating in, in the ocean and uh, and if the ocean is is calm there's no storms approaching the sun is out you're just cruising i, I mean you you bring your crew to the to, on board like to uh, close by and you you consult with them or which direction should we go should we should we put the the should we increase the speed? Should we go north? Should we? And 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 you can have a conversation, and people can can chip in, and you can even tell someone else to 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 take the boat and be the captain for the day. You can chill out, you know, and and that's great, right? And it's, it's and if you compare it with management, it's the same thing. There are moments in which things are working perfectly. There's no issues, and you can delegate more. You can people. You can teach them. But then, if a storm hits, and this, I mean, you you you're in danger of maybe capsizing then everything changes right then you have to start yelling instructions in in a figurative i mean not i'm not saying that you should yell as a leader but then you have to start shouting instructions in 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 the middle of the storm people need to know exactly what they have to do there's very little space for people to ask many questions or question your judgment they just have to execute and people need to align and and people that don't align you have to throw them off the boat right and, and and that's kind of how how leadership works and so in times of peace everything is great and you have more time for for the fun things but in times of crisis you become much more um direct and 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 you're the people that work with you need to know need to be able to recognize right uh so, so i i don't believe in a specific type of leadership i i believe on what type of leader you want to be among this all in these different scenarios right and um yeah and i look i mean i i i cannot think right now out of the top of my head like a specific book on leadership but i there's a, there's like books that um you may find odd this odd but there's a book called the prince by machiavelli which uh which uh it's it's very interesting because uh well you know who's machiavelli uh, and uh, he's basically advising uh, the, the Prince of Venice on how to rule, and and yeah. there are many many leadership uh, uh, tips on how to rule uh, when his time comes. And it's it's a very interesting book. I, I, I recommend that everyone everyone should read it. Another book that maybe fits in this context is Sun Tzu: The Art of War. Yeah, the Art of probably... War. Yeah, yeah, it's similar. It's a it's a bit more. Uh, Ah, uh, how can I say it? It's it's a bit more sadist, right? But yeah. <laughs> but at the end, uh, it. I, I would say that the art of war is more a book uh, for business strategy rather than for leadership, right? It's 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 how to how to uh, I mean how to fight your competition, how to how to gain market share, how to take from from others uh, from other competitors. It's 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 also a, a very very interesting book. Cool. Um, Diego, speaking of books, is there a book that you have gifted a lot to people? 
Is there a book that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, one book that I really, really like, uh, and I've, I've, I've recommended it many times. It, it, it's called Good to Great um, from mm -hmm. um, Jim Collins. I'm sure you've heard about it. But uh, what I mean, among many things, uh, one of the things that stands out from 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 that book is the the definition of a B hack, and uh, a B hack is the abbreviation of big, hairy, audacious goal, right? And uh, it basically it basically tells you that every organization and even you as a person, you need to have a B hack in your life, and and the B hack is not really like like this year's goal. It's like Like I will use maybe it's it's uh, like very um, a, a very used example, but companies like uh, Facebook, right? For example, the B hack is the to connect the world, right? It's it's very ambitious, right? Uh, it's a bit cliche right? that example is used a lot, but I, I cannot think of any any other right now. Um, so that that book has 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 really uh, has really made a difference uh, in my life i mean it's very it's very very inspirational and uh, like i said i think that the prince is is uh, of machiavello is is again one of one of my bedside books which i i really really enjoy and i go back to it every once in a while i like history as well so it's it's a good combination of, of both and uh yeah and there are a bunch of like the seven habits of uh, effective people Uh, even though it's it's it it, it, it can be uh, it can be called an old book now, uh, I, I do think it comes with a lot of, of good advice and something you, every once in a while I I go back to it. But in in, in in its time, which I think it was at the beginning of the 90s, it it, it that book was I mean that it shook the, the the world. Right, it's a great book. Yeah, I agree definitely. So speaking of habits, um, do you have any particular daily monthly or even yearly habits or routines that you go after uh, yeah i mean depends on, on on what what you um in general i i i like to i play some sport i like to run uh, i do i do a lot of running i uh i play i love golf as I try to, to play golf uh, at least once a week but every day I, I wake up and I try to do some kind of exercise routine either go out running or do some uh, uh, like um, pilates or some body weight exercises and and during the the pandemic that I've I've become much more creative on, on what I can do uh, from my house um, and then obviously um, I, I I try to read a book at least two books a month um, that's also something that I kind of put and it can be anything it does not necessarily management uh, books I love historical novels uh, I, I, li I love history I like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn a lot about the African continent so I'm reading a lot of books about uh, about Africa about South Africa and um, so yeah so that's kind of, of a discipline that that I, I, I do uh, like monthly yearly um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I try to at least get to know a new country every year. That's kind of something that I, I try to focus on. Um, yeah, I, I, that's that's pretty much what I can think of uh, right now. But obviously, when it comes to the family, I of course I try to be very present in in, in the life of my of my kids. So I try to spend time with them and uh, 
be part of what they like, of, of their sports or their interests and learn about those interests so we can have uh, topics of, of conversation. So I invest some time on that as well. And I'm dealing with four teenagers now, so that's always an adventure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would say that uh, those are routines that I have and that I try to stick to them. Um, yeah. Cool. So um, we started the conversation with a question on your 32-year-old self um, when you moved from Latin America to Africa. Now I'm curious, and that would actually be the last question for today already, what would you tell your 32-year-old self? Um, don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> that would be the, 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 the first uh Advice. I think that the younger you are, you you're more dramatic, uh, and you you stress yourself too much about everything. And and one thing that I wouldn't I, I wouldn't tell my thirty I would tell my thirty two year old I would tell my twenty five year old even my twenty year old don't stress that much about where do you want to be five years from now or or your career path right. I, I coach a lot of young people and and one of the the the, the the conversations that always pops up is that they're super stressed about, but because they don't, they don't have a, a clear career path or they don't know where they're going to be in two years or in five years. And, and what I tell these people is if, if you, if you talk to older people, like people like, like me, 44, or, and, and you ask them if they had like a career plan when they were 25 and where did they end? Most of them probably have not ended up, not even remotely close to where they thought they, they, they would end, right? And they spent all these years stressing about it. So I, I would tell myself, look, opportunities arrive. I mean, as long as you work hard, as long as you're ethical in, in what you do, as long as you have good work ethics, as long as you're kind to people. Because when you go up, you, you, the, 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 the people that, that, if you step on people when you, when you go up, those people are not going to, hold you when you fall down right so be always be always ethical in how you grow in your career how you use people you use people for uh, not not for your own uh, benefit but uh, to achieve results together and, uh, and and opportunities will come people will value not only your skills but they will value your your work ethics they would value who you are as a person and 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 i tell you i mean in my life the opportunities that I've had, had have appeared from the least expected places, right? Uh, yeah, so, so don't, don't stress about it. Uh, just live, live each day, work very hard, balance your life. Uh, don't be a, I mean, don't, don't uh, dedicate entirely to work because there are other things in life that are important. I mean, your, your health, your family, uh, your, your, your hobbies. Uh, you also have, need to have fun. Right? It's super important to have fun, and, and and with my team, we always try to have fun. I mean, work hard, play hard, right? Because people need to be happy. It's not only about about working. Um, so yeah, it would be that like the the small stuff. Uh, another another advice that I would give um, my my young self. Well, I'm still young, but my younger self uh, is um, don't compromise on talent. And I think that's a that's a mistake that I've I've made a few times, especially in my younger years. And and when I say that is that 
you need to make sure that you have the best people that you can have. And if you know that you, there's someone that is not the best people that you can have, or this, this someone is taking advantage of, of you as a leader or of you being a nice guy, you need to set them aside. You need to move on, right? Don't, don't, don't drag um, people that are not delivering or that are lazy or that uh, don't have motivation. Um, make the changes, make them fast. These are tough decisions sometimes, but, but in, in reality, that, that's, that, I mean, you, you, are, you are as strong as your weakest link, right? So I think that in my younger years, I, I, I made the mistakes of, of not, yeah, not, not having straightforward conversations with people fast enough and rather trying to cover up for whatever they were not doing, trying to do it myself. So um, I've learned that, that it doesn't work that way. So you, you need to, you need to make, make sure that you have the best talent that you can get. If, if you, I mean, to be honest, try to hire people that are better than you, always, always. Because not only they will help you do your job better, but they will, they will be able to succeed you if you want to grow. Because if you don't have succession and there's a promotion coming, you may not get it because there's no one that can do your job. Yeah, very good advice for everyone starting their career. And um, as that is advice that you would give your young self, that's uh, yeah. real advice that everyone can uh, take for take yeah. to the heart and remember very well yeah yeah okay diego well um that was actually the the last question or the the last um yeah difficult question i would call the the last easy question i have is if people would like to reach out to you online um where could they find you maybe linkedin whatever um, yeah i think i think linkedin would be the the easiest uh, way um yeah i mean i'm, I'm public on linkedin They can put a message. I'm, I always read the messages. Um, yeah, Diego, then thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, it's been Not extremely pleasure. fun chatting with you. And, Same here. Um, yeah, thanks. So also thank you everyone uh, listening for tuning in. And that's it for today. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>